Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development, and each week we have our listeners to take 10 and get the latest economic insights from our in-house economics team. And good morning once again to our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Good morning, Craig. Matthew, I was at CMSF this week. The first panel was on inflation. I read the paper and inflation again. It's being reported that the fund managers are starting to break ranks with the economists when it comes to the timing for inflation rates moving forward, suggesting economists might be a bit too slow to react. As an economist, Matthew, how do you react? Oh, I see the uh, tenor of this QPod, Craig. It's going to be the dullard economists pitted against the smart uh, markets and fund managers. Um, well, let me just start off by separating some of the rhetoric from reality, shall we? Look, I don't think we're breaking ranks and I don't think that economists have been slow to react. Rather, I think markets are catching up to where economists have been for some time in regard to inflation. Last year, if you look back, market was pricing an extremely low inflation outlook. At one point in April last year, uh, the market was pricing US inflation, for example, to average just 1% per annum over the next 10 years. Now, since then, market pricing has been, uh, for inflation that is, Craig, has been grinding higher. So today it sits at about 2.5%, and that's actually consistent with the Fed's target for inflation. Back in April, however, economists us dullards, were pricing inflation at 2%, double the market. And since then, the economists too have lifted their inflation expectations, but you know, starting from a higher starting point, Craig, we had to lift our inflation expectations by much less than the market. <coughs> our <coughs> economists' expectations now are about 2.4%, uh, that is inflation to average 2.4% over the next 10 years. And that's really not materially different from the market, which as I said, is a currently pricing about 2.5%. So no, Craig, it was the market driven by investors that was behind the curve, not the economists. Now we seem to be in uh, agreement. Of course, some individual fund managers will attempt to front run the market, just as some individual economists always attempt to as well. But as we stand now, on average, I would say the market and economists are in violent agreement. Very good, Matthew, and one for Robert Guy at the AFR then. Um, However, the 10-year averages that you sort of noted there can hide significant volatility over time. So is there a difference between economists and the market on the path of inflation? Yes, Craig. Well, that's a good point because I was quoting uh, an on average inflation expectation over a very long time period of 10 years. And of course, that, you know, it can be we can have different expectations at the short end rather than the long end of that time horizon. That can make a lot of difference to how you would interpret those numbers. But currently, there's not really a lot of difference between uh, economists' expectations and market pricing over different time horizons. If we look for the over the uh, shorter term, so the next 12 months, market pricing is for inflation to average about 3.2%, while economists' expectations is a little lower than that, about 3%. And that 20 basis point differential extends out for about five years. So economists are about 20 basis points lower than market expectations out for that period of time. But I don't think that's really uh, much of a material difference, Craig. Uh, with you there, Matthew. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our chief economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the latest current economic foresight shaping your investment outlook. Matthew, we did see a spike in inflation in the US last week, however. Was that a bit of a surprise? Uh, Yeah, it it was a surprise to us and to most economists as well. Uh, Look, the headline annual rate 
jumped from 2.6% in March to a whopping 4.2% in mm. April. But that headline rate we knew was going to be impacted by a, a lot of one-off or non-persistent items. Uh, so it wasn't too much of a worry, even though it was a bit higher than what we were expecting. More surprising, though, Craig, was the jump in uh, so-called core inflation, which rose from 1.6% to 3%. Uh, on annual basis, and that's well above the Fed's target. It's surprising because that measure of core inflation is meant to net out these more volatile or more transitory influences on inflation, you know, such as energy and food prices. So that with core inflation jumping so much, the risk is that inflation is becoming persistent rather than just being a, a one-off transitory jump. And it's that persistent rise in inflation above the Fed's target that can really impact our financial markets. Are you calling it structural this early, Matthew? Uh, no. At the moment, the question is, you know, is it persistent or is it just one-off? Really, you know, the answer to that defines how worried we should be. Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting thing is normally uh, such a rise in, in core would be very much concerned to us. But as we know, COVID has changed many relationships in the economy that we were used to. And it looks like in this particular case, it's also changed that sort of relationship that we had with core inflation, at least in this last read. So when we did a forensic analysis of the inflation data, it showed that many of the drivers of inflation and indeed of core inflation in April are most likely, uh, Craig, transitory. For example, right. Some goods and services uh, in the uh, US economy experienced a large jump as the economy reopened and the heavy discounting associated with those lockdowns, Craig, stopped. For example, airfares, uh, hotel accommodation, tickets to sporting events all jumped by 10% over the month. And that's the largest monthly price rise on record for those items. But we know that's not going to be replicated. It's really a function of just getting back to some sort of uh, normal level of pricing for those uh, commodities. If we netted out all these clearly one-off price rises across commodities that make up the US core CPI, we would get an annual inflation rate of around 2.3%. You know, it's closer to our and other economists' uh, expectations of where core was going to go. Because the expectation is the jump in prices is largely one-off, market pricing as well largely ignored that large core number, except for in one-year inflation. That's because that one quarter of of, uh, rising inflation actually enters into uh, market pricing. Understood. Matthew, how does it then impact other markets, such as the equity markets and, of course, the bond markets? Well, Craig, in equity markets, virtually nothing happened. The S&P is trading within a percent of its level at the time of the CPI release. Uh, US bond yields up ever so slightly by about three basis points, I think, when I last looked, Craig. At the shorter end of the yield curve, virtually no impact, as markets expect the Fed to keep rates at low levels over the next couple of years. Yeah, a lot of uh, stories this morning about whether the Fed can hold out to 2024. Uh, We talked about transitory versus structural uh, inflation, and I suppose the jury's still out, according to you on that one, Matthew. But what would continued inflation mean for the financial markets? Yeah, well, as you say, to date, the rise in inflation, the rise in nominal interest rates has been orderly. Importantly for markets, the the real 10-year bond yield, that is the nominal bond yield discounted for inflation, has actually fallen by about 30 basis points since April last year. And 
The lower real cost of debt, Craig, is benefiting the economy through encouraging spending and it's benefiting financial markets by encouraging risk taking uh, in support of equity markets and hence businesses as well for that matter. But at a certain point, an ongoing rise in inflation expectations, Craig, would undermine the Fed's ability to keep interest rates from surging. And we would expect then to see real interest rates and hence the real cost of debt to also surge. And if that were the case, my guess is we'd see a very difficult time for risk assets. We'd see a bloodbath in in equity markets would be my guess. And of course, this does raise the question, what would be the tipping point there you're listening to Craig Balanswala and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our chief economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the possible implications of global inflation increasing. Matthew, the data has been pretty interesting in Australia as well. The latest CPI data showed a weaker than expected result, but particularly surprisingly was that wages are starting to increase more quickly than first thought. What impact do you envisage this is having on inflation expectations locally? Well, just firstly, in terms of that, um, you know, the pattern of inflation in Australia over just a longer sweep, I'll get to the question about the recent data in a minute, but just looking at the over the longer period of time, very similar pattern in Australia, the US, not just over the couple last couple of weeks, but also since the depths of the pandemic pandemic last uh, March, April, you know, 10-year inflation expectations in Australia are currently trading at 2.3%, having steadily increased from about half percent back in April. In terms of the recent data, the upside uh, surprise in the wage data went largely unnoticed inflation markets. Uh, The downside surprise in the March quarter CPI uh, outturn resulted in a a really small five basis points drop in 10-year inflation expectations after the announcement. But since then, that reaction's disappeared. Inflation expectations at the moment are marginally up by just around 10 basis points since since that release of the CPI data back in April, Craig. Yeah, really surprising given how much focus has been on wage data recently. Um, Matthew, we've seen recently the value versus growth debate re-engage again after a very long period, some suggest 10 years, of growth dominating. Do the signs of inflation returning spell a return of market fundamentals? Well, Craig, yeah, it looks like it, doesn't it? Uh, the post-GFC era, uh, that 10 years you were talking about, you know, it was characterised by historically low interest rates. The central banks, uh, as we know, pumped liquidity into the financial system with the, you know, the aggressive adoption of uh, quantitative easing. And, and with a lack of inflation in the system and that liquidity being pumped into the market, there was really little risk that the Fed would allow interest rates to rise, which, you know, led to what became a safe bet into equities and other risk assets. As you know, Craig, it became known as the Fed put. And in that environment, you know, growth stocks became king as capital gains rather than uh, dividends dominated uh, return to equities. Now, COVID initially resulted in another spurt of uh, QE and another sort of spurt in uh, driving uh, growth stocks. But eventually, that process drove PE multiples, say in the S&P 500, up to levels that we hadn't seen since the dot-com bubble back at the start of the millennium. Now, what we've seen since then is not only stretch valuations, but rising inflation and the prospect of a sustained rise in interest rates. And that's really refocused investors' uh, attention, I think, on underlying fundamentals, including those really stretch valuations. Uh, in addition, with the steepening of the yield curve has helped 
the profitability of some key value sectors, for example, commercial banking sector. And that's also helped turn the tables in favour of value investing, I think. Yeah, certainly companies that can pass on inflation as well, I would have thought would be in favour. Matthew, we've covered off real assets, we've covered off equities and bond markets. Are there particular areas of the current financial markets where you feel institutional investors could look to assess, given inflation might be in mind? Yeah, well, coming back to the value growth debate just for a sec, I think an ongoing rise in real interest rates, which we're expecting to occur going forward, will continue to support value stocks over growth stocks. It'll continue to uh, refocus invest attention on underlying fundamentals. As long as uh, the rise in nominal and real bond yields is orderly, the steepening of the yield curve will continue, and that should support the banking sector, as I said. And we mustn't uh, forget also that re-establishing inflation, getting inflation up, what it actually means is that consumer prices are rising. And that's happening partly because we have strong consumer demand. And that demand of the consumer is switching more into discretionary spending as as fears of lockdown fade. Uh, So that's quite good for the uh, consumer discretionary stocks, for example. I think there's even light at the end of the tunnel for the much unloved of late, at least, retail real estate sector. Look, we've got strong recovery in consumer demand. We've got strong appetite for discretionary spending. And in that sector, we've got a favourable yield and very reasonable uh, valuations, particularly compared to equities and other risk assets. So that's a potentially uh, a sleeper for investors to keep an eye out for. Thanks, Matthew, for your insights today. With the US headline inflation jumping 4.2% in April, including that surprise jump in core inflation, are we finally seeing a structural return of inflation or is it simply a transitionary outcome, one to watch out for? And with market shifts come the opportunity to review other areas of the market, as we've recently seen, with the return of investors favouring strong fundamentals. I'm Craig Valenzuela for QPod. Thank you for listening and have a super weekend.